we've been continuing on with this study on um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and really talking about you know, what does it mean to be a disciple and just always remind ourselves that, um, that you know, the big picture is what is a church? What is a healthy church? And if we're going to be a healthy church, if that's what we, we want to be and that's what we aspire to be, we want to be what the Bible tells us a healthy church is and what a healthy church is, is, is a community of disciples, community of people who are becoming more and more like Jesus through learning, growing, living, ministering, all of that. That's what a healthy church is. And, um, you know, we were talking about this this morning in Sunday school that, you know, there's, within any church, there's a group, there's different groups, there's people that, that really just don't understand something. Maybe they're too young in their faith. They just haven't gotten to that part where they really understand what discipleship is, what a healthy church is. And then there's another group, and I'd say they're the most dangerous group. They're the group that thinks they understand. You know, they think they understand. You know, um, you know I used to golf a little more than I do now. I barely go out golfing anymore. But, you know, the worst thing is when you're golfing with somebody and the person thinks they know how to help you, right? They really are no better than you, but they think they know. So they're going to tell you all kinds of stuff. And then there's, there's the group that really gets it and is doing the best they can, working together. But then there's this fourth group. And I, and I want to just mention today, not going to go into depth into it. I just want to mention it because you have to ask, ask yourself is, you know, am I part of this fourth group? You actually understand what the Bible says a healthy church is. You understand there's a level of intimacy that we are, that we are growing towards, that we're so close to one another that we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. We celebrate with each other's joys. We, we walk together and grieve together when, when we're going through our struggles. And we know it, and we don't want it. It's not a problem of understanding. We understand. But because we understand, we understand that it means something about me has to change. If you have developed yourself to be this private person that kind of chooses when and how you're going to relate to other people, if that's your idea of, of you know, how you think is the, the way you should live, as soon as you hear what a church is, you will not want to be that. Because the church says no. When we look at what the Bible says, it talks about, again, this, this growing together into even more than a family. Being knitted together. And we hear it, and we know it, and we understand what it will require of us, and we don't want it. Well, I'm trying to look at that. What is a, a healthy church? Now, today you're going to see when we read the Bible verse that the title doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Bible verse. This next picture will seem to have nothing to do with either the title or the Bible verse. It's a picture from uh, the abomination, which is the new Johnny Depp Willy Wonka, um, as opposed to the classic, you know, Gene Wilder, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But if you guys watch the new movie, you will, uh, it's new, but it's not that new. It's, yeah. 
more than 10 years old. But if you watched it, then you know that there was this, this prince from another land that asked Willy Wonka to build him a palace. What did he want the palace built out of? Well, chocolate. Now, part of me, though, you know, I would love to have a house made out of chocolate, you know, be great. Watch TV, need a snack, just break off part of the wall, eat it, it'd be great. But of course, if you watch the movie, there was a problem because chocolate's not a very good building material. Because as you can see, the sun's out. So what do you think is going to happen to this chocolate? It's going to melt, right? And in fact, that's what happens. It melts because chocolate isn't a good building material. It, it looked good for a little while, but eventually falls apart. At Cheryl's family reunion, they played a game where they were trying to build something with marshmallows and uh, raw spaghetti. Again, not great building materials. You know, you can do something with it, but not building materials of choice. If you're planning on building a house and, you know, the contractor says, yeah, we're going to build this house and we're going to use marshmallows and spaghetti noodles, you would get a new contractor, I hope. You know, you wouldn't say, oh, that's a great idea. You know, if someone came along and said, you know, we'll build a stadium, and the stadium's going to rust, and then it, no, never mind. Um, <laughs> um, those of you who aren't from Hawaii, you don't understand the reference. But there's, there's good building materials and not good building materials. You know, my daughter, Keiko, is singing up here. She, you know, she's studying to be a... Uh, architecture engineer, and I'm pretty sure they cover this kind of stuff. Don't use chocolate to build houses. But here's the problem. I talked about all those different kind of people that are in any church, but only certain ones of them are good building material. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about today. He's going to say, if you're going to build the community, if you're going to build the church, if you're going to build the kingdom, you need to have good building material. If we just try to build the kingdom from the world, it's difficult because you can't really build community if the basis for your relationships or the bases for your relationships are self-interest or power. And that tends to be the reason most of us form relationships, most of the relationships we have are based on one of those two things. Some kind of self-interest. Maybe it you know, makes us feel good about ourselves. Maybe it's survival. Maybe it's a, you know, a job. It's income. If you think about all your relationships, most of them, if they're not Christian, and even some that are Christian, though, but they're based on self-interest, or they're somehow based on power. You know, I go and I, and I network, and there's nothing wrong with networking. But I'm networking, why? Why am I building relationships? Because I'm, I'm genuinely interested in that person as a friend? Because I, I really want to be friends? No. I'm networking because someday I'm going to want something. I'm going to need something. You cannot build the kingdom with that building material. Because it will fall apart. It will melt. And so Jesus is, is teaching on, in the Sermon on the Mount. And 
you know, the last couple of weeks, last couple, few times I've been teaching, I've been telling you, like, what you think this Bible verse is about is not what it's about. What you've been taught these Bible verses are about, not what they're about. This one, in a way, is exactly what it's about, but it's not that helpful to us until we really understand what it's about. Just one verse, Matthew 7, verse 6. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, here's the problem when you're trying to understand the Bible. When you're trying to understand the Bible, if you've learned nothing else in the four years I've been here, one of the things I try to tell you is, if you don't understand context, you don't understand anything. You just got words. And if you don't understand context, what you will do, because we all do this, is you will import your own context there. So as soon as it starts talking about dogs, you immediately import your context. You think like, 21st century Americans, how do we view dogs? Dogs are pets. How do we view pigs? Pigs are food, right? That's what we think. We think um, in some ways the dog is superior. Dog is man's best friend. So we just think that's always been the case, right? I mean, if it's true in 21st century America, it must have always been true. Well, it's just wrong. So we need to know context. We need to understand, if we understand context, if we understand you know, what was the dog, what was the role of the dog in first century Jerusalem? What was the role of the pig? How did the people think about these? Well, when we look at the dog, the dogs typically, they weren't pets. They were, they were wild dogs. And they actually had a function in society. They're, function was to go eat the rubbish. That's kind of good. But they would go and eat the rubbish. They would, you know, you throw out things, has food items in it, packs of dogs are out there eating it. The picture is not, you know, cute little dog in your house, but it's dogs running wild. And he says, don't give them what is holy. What's he talking about? Well, he's probably talking about uh, meat sacrificed to idols uh, or meat sacrificed at the temple. In Jerusalem, he's talking to Jewish people. He's probably talking about meat sacrificed to the, at the temple. Now, when I was growing up and I'd hear about sacrifice, I didn't really understand all that was going on, and now I understand. Sacrifice was a, was a religious, holy barbecue. That's what it was. You know, it was... You know, that's why Texas is the most Christian state in the Union, because we have barbecue. Um, it's barbecue. It's what it is. It's, 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 a, it's a ritual. It's sacrifice and all of that. But if you read the, the Mosaic Law and you read about the, the, the sacrifices, there was only one sacrifice that wasn't a barbecue. That was the sacrifice where you just burned it all up, the Holocaust. Totally devoted to God. Nobody gets any of it, okay? But all the other sacrifices, it talks about how after they sacrifice, they would take part of the meat, the priests would take part of the meat, the rest of the meat would go to the people. They would eat it. So you have this, this holy, in a way, holy meat. What Jesus is saying is, the dog doesn't care. 
The dog doesn't care if the meat's holy. All the dog cares about is its meat. Matter of fact, you could have a piece of you know, raw meat full of dirt. Dog will love that just as much as the meat sacrificed to idols or sacrificed at the temple. If, you know, if I make a steak at my house and I, put, you know, I like to put garlic and olive oil and all these other things, you know, put it on there, it's great for me. Other people like the same things or like it. Dog doesn't care. I could put no seasoning on it. My dog will like it just as much if it has seasoning. I could cook it. Dog's going to like it just as much whether it's cooked or not. Um, dog can't tell the difference. That's the point. The point he's trying to make is dog can't tell the difference. One of my favorite books and movies is uh, Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene in Lord of the Rings where this dude, Smeagol, uh, you see Smeagol, he's complaining about one of the hobbits because the, hobbits has the, the hobbit has the audacity, Sam has the audacity to cook the fish. And he says, you're ruining it. You're ruining the fish because fish was meant to be eaten raw. And still wiggling. Sam's over there, oh, no, this is the way you got to make it. You got to put all these seasonings on. You got to mix it with, with you know, mash, you know, with potatoes and, and garnishes. That's how you make it. Smeagol had no appreciation for that. It's the picture of the, of the dog. The dog just wants to eat. Doesn't care. It'll eat garbage. It'll eat something holy, doesn't draw a distinction. And so, what is, what is the point? Well, it's a similar point that he's going to make at the second part. The second part, he talks about the pig. Now, in Jewish society, the pig wasn't for eating. The pig was considered an unclean animal, wasn't kosher. But the pig was domesticated. So you had the wild dogs, and now you had the domesticated pig. These weren't wild pigs running around. It was a domesticated pig. They would have seen them in Romans' homes, you know, out there. But here's what, whether the animal is domesticated or whether the animal is wild, they both just want food. You can, you can... You know, the picture Jesus makes is, you know, you can put, you know, pearls. You can put jewels. Pig doesn't care. If you put a, you know, pearl necklace next to food, pig's going for food. Because it can't see the value. It doesn't differentiate. It's just doing what it wants to do and what it feels it's... It's nature is telling it to do. It doesn't look at the pearls and, and look at their beauty and, and, you know, and you know, just be amazed by it. No. You could put diamonds there. Same thing. doesn't matter. They don't see the value. And because they can't see the value, Jesus is saying, don't do it. But you might go, well, 
that's great, but how do you get from dogs and pigs to kingdom building? And what do we do with that last part? It says, lest they they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, we're going to unpack the kingdom part in a minute. But that last part, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you, Jesus is making this, this point. They don't, because they cannot see the value in something, here's all they see. All the dogs and pigs see is, you're trying to keep me from what I really want. And what I really want is food. And you're keeping me from it. You're annoying me. You're putting these white circle things in front of me. I'm just going to run right past them because all I want is food. Well, how do we know that this is about kingdom building? And how do we make that connection? Seems It's a long walk to go from dogs and pigs to kingdom building. Well, if you go all the way back to chapter 5 and at the end of the Beatitudes, what we call the Beatitudes, which remember is kind of an introduction to the entire sermon. And he, Jesus starts talking about the kingdom. And then he keeps talking about the kingdom throughout the next two chapters, all the way to chapter 7. And here, it's almost like he's come to a point, this summary point. And he's, he's, he wants to emphasize something at this point. But all along, he's been talking about the kingdom. So how do we make this connection? Well, first of all, what we need to see, when Jesus is saying, don't give dogs what is holy, don't throw your pearls before pigs, what he's saying is you cannot, you cannot think that people can be part of the kingdom if they don't understand it. There has to be some level of understanding. He's saying, very literally, you cannot establish the kingdom with dogs and pigs. Then the question is, what are dogs and pigs? Well, we just said, dogs and pigs are, are people who are so focused on their own needs and their own wants. They're so driven by what the world tells them is important and valuable that they cannot see the value of the kingdom. They cannot see it. Or if they do see it, they don't, they don't see it as, as worth changing their lives for. They don't see it as worth giving up what this world offers. That's the problem. They either don't understand what the kingdom is because it just hasn't been taught. And I'm going to tell you there's a lot of people who don't understand what God's kingdom is because the church, for whatever reason, hasn't really taught it. Second reason is they actually understand it, but they don't accept it. 
because they don't think it's worth it. They don't think it's valuable enough. So, although it literally is, you cannot establish Christian community with dogs and pigs. The way we can think about this is that you cannot build the kingdom with people who do not understand and or value the kingdom. So the, all the preceding verses, all of them are either directly or indirectly related to telling you what someone, a disciple, what a disciple thinks, what a disciple does, what a disciple values. And the question for us is, if we're disciples, then these things should resonate with us. We may not be perfect at it, but they should resonate with us. They should connect with something inside of us. When we, when we hear Jesus say that, we should say, yes, that's right. That's valuable. That's something I want more of in my life. We at minimum should be there. Because if so, then we're on the path of discipleship. And if we're disciples, we are kingdom-building material. So, we're going to do like a flashback. We're going to go back over the sermon and just briefly touch on these different points that Jesus has brought out in different places. And we go, we go all the way back to, to the chapter 5 at, in the Beatitudes where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In short, what is Jesus saying? He's saying the kingdom should be so valuable to you so valuable to you that you are willing to be persecuted. And not are you only willing to be persecuted, if persecution comes upon you, you will find it a cause to rejoice. If we're disciples, if we're kingdom-building material, then we believe God's kingdom is so valuable, so valuable, that we give everything, we risk everything. It's not saying like, oh, um, you know, you might, people might disagree with you. It's more than that. It's not saying you might be the only person at your job or at your school who believes a certain way. It's more than that. It's not saying, hey, society is trending this way. And society is redefining what's good and evil, what's right and wrong, what's sin and not sin. It's redefining it, and, and you know, you're going in the opposite direction. It's more than that. It is all that, but it's more than that. If we truly value the kingdom, we will not only be willing to be persecuted, we will rejoice when it happens. We can continue on just you know, bit by bit, and I'm not going to go back over and read every Bible verse. But Jesus talks about what is the disciples' attitude toward the law. Well, if we're building the kingdom, the kingdom is built on God's word. 
And God's word is sometimes, especially in the New Testament, talked about as, as God's law, God's word, God's law. And Jesus is saying, if you're a disciple, if you're kingdom building material, then here's what you do. You know God's word, you live God's word, you teach God's word. You know it, you live it, you teach it. You keep God's word, you teach God's word. That's what you do. But the focus is on, if we're kingdom building material, the focus is on God's word. It's a problem. It's a problem because um, biblical literacy is probably lower than it's ever been. And in the last, in my whole lifetime, it's never been high. And by biblical literacy, I don't mean your ability to uh, quote scripture or your ability to um, tell me all the names of the books of the Old Testament and New Testament. By biblical literacy, what I mean is people who, who understand God's word so much that they, they connect they connect what they believe. They connect what they think is right and wrong. They connect what they value with God's word. And they do it in a thorough way. If you want to keep God's law, you have to know it. If you're going to teach God's law, you have to know it. And so you have one problem. You have one problem of so many Christians who don't know it. They don't know God's word. They, they keep what they know, but they don't know very much. And they certainly, aren't they certainly aren't teaching it. But you have another problem. You have people that are either, and we're talking about Christians, by the way, who are rejecting God's word. Oh, not completely, just the parts they don't like. Just the parts that seem to go against things that they have determined are right and scripture seems to contradict. So they're going to reject parts of it. And then, of course, there's Christians that aren't necessarily rejecting it, but they're, they're, not, they're willing to try to know God's word, but they're not willing to put in the work to know God's word. You know, so they'll read it, and they'll come to some conclusions, but they won't really study it. It's a problem. But if you're kingdom-building material, you love God's Word. It's not, a, it's not an accident that we've been reading through Psalm 119. We get it in pieces every Sunday morning, and I encourage you, go back and read it. Read it. It's this great psalm of, of just telling us of how important God's word is, how wonderful and beautiful and powerful it is. I encourage you to go back and, and read that again and again. You know, we read in chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, that if you're kingdom-building material, if you're a disciple and you're kingdom-building material, reconciliation is your top priority. You cannot be happy 
If there's, if there's a problem, a grudge, an offense, some separation between you and another brother and sister in Christ, you will live unsettled until you work towards reconciliation. You won't just accept and say, that's just how that person is, this is just how I am, and it's okay. No. You will work to make the relationships better. Related to that, disciples, kingdom building material, we refrain from thoughts and attitudes that damage relationships. In that particular section of scripture, Jesus was talking about two things that were very common in his day and they're common in our day. Lust and anger. Because both of those things work against the kingdom. Later on, he talks about you know, the importance of, of having a, a healthy marriage. And he was particularly talking to the, the men because in that society, you know, the men had all, held all the power. They had all the advantages. They held all the cards. And Jesus is saying, look, if you can't treat your, your wife right, if you can't work towards reconciliation with her, if you can't love her and care for her, even if it means it's after your relationship ends, if you can't do that, what makes you think your kingdom building material. He talks about how about vows and you know people get all caught up in the you know what what vows can we say and what can we not say. What Jesus is really trying to help us understand is that if we're kingdom building material, if we're disciples, we place a high value on truth. If 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 our leader if the Son of God identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life, we have to be people of truth. Then Jesus says that really hard thing. He talks about how if we're, if we're kingdom-building material, if we're truly disciples, then we have to, we have to love everyone. We serve everyone. We don't have a range. And if you're outside the range, we don't love you and we don't serve you. You have to be in the range. No. We love and serve everyone. In fact, if you have that range and you want to be more like Jesus, then you find the people that are just outside your limit. The people you think are least in your mind, least in this world, least in this society, least in this church, and you love and serve them first. It's a tough thing. It's a really tough thing to do. Because so much of the the dog and pig mentality is inside of us still. We want to love and serve the people that that we think can help us. I remember back when I, I did a summer mission trip back in um, 1985. I was young, I had hair, um, I was about the same weight. Um, but I remember we, you know, my partner and I, we went to different churches, spent about a week or two, 
at each church. I remember going to this one church, and it was this guy who's a few years older than, than us. We were like in our 20s. And he was trying to um, like get a church going in this community. It was an existing church, but it had been kind of dying, so he was trying to get it going. And I remember, I didn't fully understand why this bothered me, but I understand now why it bothers me. But at the time, I didn't understand. It just bugged me when he said, you know, if I could just get six or seven young families with kids, this church would take off. And I'm like, really? That's your plan. That's your plan. That, that's how it's going to work. Maybe in humanized, the way the world works, that works. But if you're a pastor of this church, God's called you to serve this church. Not your fantasy church. This church. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if, you know, you get married and after a couple years your spouse looks at you and says, you know what would make our marriage just take off? Eve's even be better. As if basically you were a different person. You know, look different, acted different, treated me differently, then that would be awesome. We would think, gosh, that's terrible. That's kind of what this pastor was saying. Because, you know what, he didn't want to serve the people that were there because, you know, they were older, they were stuck in their ways, they were, they were too much into tradition, they weren't willing to really listen, they had accepted like a, a superficial Christianity as a deep Christianity, and they're the hardest people to move. They were broken and wounded, but they thought they were healthy. And he didn't want to serve them. He wanted to go get the nice, shiny people and build his church from them. If we're disciples, if we're kingdom-building material, we love and serve everybody. And then Jesus just cranks up, cranks, cranks up the intensity just in case you didn't get it. Just in case you think everybody means everybody except. He says, even your enemies. Love them. Forgive them. Bless them. Don't pray that God will bless them. You got an enemy, they do something to you, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm going to be holy enough that the Bible says that we should bless them. Some, we should pray for them. I'm going to pray that God will bless them. Jesus says, you personally go bless them. They want you to carry their pack a mile, carry it two miles. They want your, your cloak, give them your tunic. You personally go bless. Don't pray that God will somehow bless them. You bless them. Kingdom building material. We love everyone, including our enemies. When we do minister, when we do help, when we do pray, when we do fast, we do it for the right reasons. We don't do it to be seen. We don't do it to, to, for, so people will think we're more spiritual than we are and so that we then have influence because they think we're holier. No. 
We do it because, on one hand, we desperately need it. You know, we, we talked about fasting and how kind of it's in vogue to fast from things like social media or TV and things like that. It's not really fasting. Because you don't need those things. Fasting in the Bible only pertains to things you actually need to survive. Remember, dogs and pigs, all they care about is the stuff they need to survive. They don't care about anything else. Fasting, fasting helps remind us that there's still a little dog and pig in us. And so now I'm going to say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to not take something that I do, but take this thing that I need. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, God, I'm not going to take this thing I need so that I might draw closer to you. We fast, we pray, we help others, but we do it for the right reasons. We do it because the Father is going to see us. The Father, it's our relationship with the Father that we're concerned about, not that other human beings see us. Continues on that, that disciples, kingdom building materials, they, they pray, but they don't just pray, they pray for the kingdom. If you're truly kingdom building material, if you truly see the value of God's kingdom, if you truly see like if more and more people wanted to, to at least try to get on the journey of becoming these communities of faith, these communities that are based on, on, on the spirit of God and on his love, if more and more people do it, that, that the world would be better. Like so many of our problems would be, would be less or even solved. If you knew that, if you knew that Jesus is the only hope for the world, not Jesus the only hope because each one of us will somehow have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but because when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he brings us together as one body in Christ that even though we're still different, we'll still disagree, we'll still have problems, but we, we're bound together by His Spirit and His love. If you believe that's the only hope for the world, you should pray for it. Pray for it. When is the last time we prayed that God's kingdom would even just be manifest more in this church, much less in this community, and this state, and this nation, and this world. Do we know what the kingdom is? Do we value it? And if we do, we should be praying for it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. But we don't just pray for the kingdom. A few verses later, Jesus tells us, we treasure the kingdom. He talks about how we can get distracted about the things of this world and, and, and we put all of the value in the things of this world. And he says, you know what? Where your heart is, right? Where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. He's not saying, hey, make a choice. He's saying, no, if you're my follower, if you're a disciple, your heart 
And thus your treasure is in heaven. It's in the kingdom. Because you understand that what God's trying to do is not a pretty good plan. It's not the best plan we have. It's not one of several options. When we really understand the gospel and really understand God's, what God's trying to do through the kingdom, we realize it is the only way. Yeah, it's the best way, but it's the best way because it's the only way. You know, it's, you know, it's a negative example, but if I were to tell you, like, you know, like if you're driving out to the west side, you know, the bad thing about having traffic reports here is all they can tell you is there's a traffic jam. Because there's only one way. What's the best way? It's also the worst way. Well, with God, it's different. He gives us the best way, but it's also the only way. We're more and more buying into this mentality that, that God's way is really good, it's super cool, it's awesome, but you know there's other ways too. But it's not. We treasure the kingdom. Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to be his disciple, if you're kingdom building material, you will serve God and not possessions. And then a couple weeks ago we talked about Not only will we pray for the kingdom, not only will we treasure the kingdom, we will seek the kingdom. We will work for the kingdom. And it's kind of hard because we don't even necessarily know what it's all going to look like. We don't know where the road's going to lead. There's no promise that we'll even get there. But Jesus says, seek it anyways. Seek it anyways. And finally, what we talked about last week with the big log in people's eyes and the specks in the eyes that here's what a disciple does. Here's what kingdom building material does. We help each other be kingdom strong. I want you to be kingdom strong. I want you to be strong in the things that characterize the kingdom. That's what I hope. That's what I hope for my own kids. You know, they can be successful in other things, but what I really want them to be is I want them to be kingdom strong. That's what I hope for all of you. That's what I hope for myself. See, if we're kingdom strong, all the world stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they take away our building if we're kingdom strong. It doesn't matter if they take away all of our bank accounts if we're kingdom strong. None of it matters if we're kingdom strong. Because if we're kingdom strong, we're held together by bonds way more than just a charter or a constitution or bylaws. We're held together more than just by tradition or, or, you know, this is where I've always gone. We're kingdom strong. We're bound by God's spirit and by his love. Simple message. Build the kingdom with kingdom builders. Now, I think they can do this with nanobots now. But I think before that, not sure it was actually possible. But can you simultaneously build something and be the builder of it? 
Can, I mean, I'm sorry, be the, what the, the building material. Can you be both the builder and the building material? That's what we're called to be. You ever see sometimes those cool ants when they're trying to get across a stream? They build a bridge by being the bridge. It's pretty cool. That's what we're called to be. Jesus is saying, build the kingdom. I want you to build the kingdom, but you have to understand, you're building the kingdom, but you're also the material of the kingdom. It's both. And see, if I don't understand this, if I'm still living like a dog and a pig, it doesn't really make sense. Or I hear it, it sounds interesting, but it's not something I'm going to get crazy about. But through faith in Jesus Christ, when we've been changed by his indwelling spirit, it starts to make sense. It starts to make us wonder why we couldn't see it before. We get why, why God's plan is the only hope for the world. We understand it. And we are saying, God, your plan is far more valuable than I can even imagine. And I will invest all that I am into your kingdom. It's tough. It's not easy. If suddenly, right now, God's Spirit came upon each one of you, and each one of you said, I'm 100% all in. Let's do this. And it wasn't just you, but it was actually God's Spirit. It would still be hard. So I'm telling you, it's hard. It's not the easy way. The easy way is keep doing church we've been, the way we've been doing church for past 150, 200 years. Let's just make it kind of a Christian holy club where we learn a little bit and we come here, but we don't get too close to one another. Because when you get too close, that's when you get problems and you get problems, people get upset and then they go away. When you want to be a community, when you want to have that intimacy that God has called us to have, it's hard. It's messy. It's awkward. It's scary. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful. 